We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire MBA podcast. Nick Whalen here. I'll be joined in a second by a friend of the program, Kenny Ducey. I've done a lot of video work with Kenny this NBA season. Uh, he's heavily involved at DraftKings. Uh, you can also find his work at NBC Sports, Action Network. Uh, you might recognize him from NBA Twitter. Uh, he's all over the place. Really fun guy to talk hoops with. I've been wanting to bring him on the pod for a long time now. And we thought, what better time than right now when we can discuss things like why is Jeff Teague playing actual minutes in an Eastern Conference Finals game? Spoiler alert, we didn't really come to a, a great conclusion as to why that was the case in game one last night. Uh, but we went real deep on Hawks-Bucks, uh, a, a series that's, I think, shaping up to be maybe a little more closely contested than I even expected. And we went somehow even deeper on Suns Clippers, which has been a surprisingly fun series out in the West through two games. Then we talked finals MVP odds and finished up with some draft lottery talk. So covered a lot of ground, but I'm really proud of us. We wrapped it up in almost a clean hour. Uh, so it was a really fun chat with Kenny, uh, and I think you guys will enjoy it. All right, on the line, I have Kenny Ducey, uh, NBA writer. You can find his work at DraftKings, NBC Sports, Action Network, Sportsbook Review, uh, all over the place. Uh, he doesn't just talk NBA. He also talks tennis. Uh, Kenny, I, in getting to know you over the last few months uh, doing the morning show uh, on DraftKings, The Sweat, uh, we've been doing that together a few times per week. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I get the sense that we had probably very similar upbringings as like rabid sports fans watching anything uh, and everything that was on TV. Um, you're based in New York City, which unlike where I am right now in Milwaukee, I don't believe qualifies uh, as a, quote, terrible city. Uh, but how's everything going out east? It's been an extremely dreary week uh, in, Milwaukee, in Milwaukee. Oh, man, I, I've been reading so many things about how great Milwaukee is. I read that statement from the Bucks president, you know, come to Milwaukee, check out our city. It's rapidly growing. And here's your review. You're just like, get me out of here, man. Get me out of this place. So it, it's great over here. The weather's great. I do like, I loved going to Vermont in the summers when I was growing up and I still like going upstate and it's really nice to get into like a cooler climate during the summer. So I imagine that's sort of how Milwaukee is. Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely feel like there's some pluses to where you live as well. Yeah. I mean, 
I have to walk my dog uh, on a street lined with uh, cigarette butts and uh, old French fries. So I think that there's trade-offs both places. But yeah, it's it's nice here, man. It's a great it's a great temperature out. That's for sure. That's definitely the longest yeah. how you do an answer in in history. I have nothing bad to say about Milwaukee at all. I was born and raised in the Green Bay area. Um, so even from that, like Milwaukee is a major step up. Northeast Wisconsin is awesome as well, but you're just not really getting any sort of like major city type of feel. Uh, and Milwaukee's obviously not New York, but it, it's somewhere in the middle. I, I just think it is funny how how vehemently people have fought back against like, does anybody really care what Molly Karam or Jalen Rose or Stephen A. Smith have to say? Like the city is like issuing official statements on this fighting back from something that was said on first take. Yeah, we didn't see uh, we we didn't see any of the Golden State Warriors shoot back at Max Kellerman when he said he would want Andre Iguodala taking that last shot if the Martians were about to take over Earth, which we laughed right. about the other day. Uh, yeah, it is funny to have that thin of skin, and um, it you know what you know what it screams. It's like I so for where I grew up in Connecticut, like uh, John Oliver did a bit about this tr- a waste plant that was in the town next to us, and like they were so happy that they were finally on the map. That they were like, oh, you know, they like reached out to the show. They're like, this is amazing. Like, you, you know, you know, those kind of towns where it's like their whole thing is like we were on TV once. That's how it feels like, you know, the Bucks are where it's like, wow, they talked about us. Wow, really? We got talked about, you know, let's right. let's let's make sure that they know that we heard it. You know, let's let's have fire back and have some fun with this. So, yeah, it's like, please talk about my city. That's how it, that's how it sounds to me. Yeah, it's a, any publicity is good publicity situation, I think, for Milwaukee. The Bucks did not exactly back it up last night in game one against the Hawks. Um, it, it was a game that I felt like Milwaukee was in control of, or at least they thought they were in control of until the end. Uh, when they let it slip away, it reminded me really a lot of those Hawks Sixers games in the last series. You know, I, I thought the Bucks shot selection, even out of the gate, um, you know, they started the game with two Brooke Lopez threes and a Giannis three. Those are their first three field goal attempts. I thought it was just kind of a little lackadaisical. I, I think they, they, they were playing that game like they were up 20 the entire time and they were really up like five or down two for most of it. Um, and, and it felt like, you know, they thought that they could make this run and, and have this run in them at the end. And all of a sudden you're giving up offensive rebounds left and right to John Collins and Clint Capella. You have no answers for Trey Young, who decimated Drew Holiday one on one. I don't know what the Bucks were doing. Um, you know, there, there were a couple of screenshots, if you scroll on Twitter last night, of like Bobby Portis standing like 12 feet away from Trey Young as he has a wide open three point attempt. Um, it, it just felt like I, I think the Bucks were maybe a little bit overconfident heading into this one. And, and we, we broke it down on the DK show yesterday morning. I, I believe the line closed at Bucks minus seven or Bucks minus eight. I, a lot of people thought that Milwaukee was going to take control of this series early on. And, you know, here we are again where the Atlanta Hawks are, are kind of forcing the conversation that they are a very legitimate team. Yeah, this is, I mean, a, a lot to unpack, but I mean, I, first of all, you know, they did have that last run at the end. That's the crazy thing. They were up right. like 10 in the first half and then they were up like seven with like three minutes to go. And as a Bucks, you know, spread ticket holder, I was like, all right, well, here we go. Finally, you know, here's the push where they cover. And yeah, it kind of leads into what, what else you said about the defense on Trey Young. The, like, I don't know if there's a player out there that is more infuriating to watch just from the standpoint of like, why doesn't, why don't teams know what's happening than Trey Young? Like I, I know that, you know, it, it what perimeter defense, I try really hard and pick up basketball, but perimeter defense is, is not something that I excel at, but it feels like anyone watching feels like, Oh yeah, I could defend Trey Young because 
he he gets so much room to put up his floaters. And then, like, you see Jeff Teague go under a screen two times on, like, one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Like, it, stuff like that just makes you infuriated. And you're like, how how does no one see what's about to happen here? Like, how can you give Trey Young that much space? Like, how can you how can you just leave Bobby Portis on an island to guard the role man and let Trey Young put up an uncontested floater? Like, it's stuff like that. And then, like, finally at the end of the game, right, like Pat Connaughton, Pat Connaughton was the guy that was like, oh, yeah, you know what's going to happen here? Trey Young's going to put up a floater. And he went up and he just swatted the heck out of it. And he screamed. And then there was a foul called on, you know, Chris Middleton uh, right before the right before the floater went up. So, like, I, I feel like, you know, if you just have any sort of level of guts and anticipation, like, you can stop Trey Young. And especially on the other end of the ball, I still feel like we haven't seen a team do that well attacking Trey Young uh, and exploiting his bad defense. And I, I think that that all ties into the man that I feel like we're going to talk about in this segment, or I hope so anyway, and that's Mike Budenholzer. And I just think he does a really terrible job in, I mean, in every phase of the game, but that's certainly one of them, right? Like you, you want to talk about two polar opposites in the other conference finals when you have a guy like Ty Lu who continues to make adjustments throughout a, throughout a series, continues to make them throughout a game, and you would think that by now, Bud would like, you know, they've played them during the regular season. They've seen tape on Trey Young. Like, you think you would know his tendencies, and you still have guys going under screens, and you still have Trey Young getting mm-hmm. off like a million uncontested floaters. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, there's just no, I, I, I think there's a little bit of a toughness lacking. Like, there's, you know, there's nobody uh, really fighting for boards. Like, PJ Tucker's not even boxing out at times. Like, I don't even, I don't understand that. And, their offense is just so unimaginative and they're just, they're completely lost. And it's like this team that has so many great players and like this freak of nature and they can't do anything. And it it really leads back to coaching like that. That Mm -hmm. is coaching. That's the definition of, of having a bad coach is when you have a a really talented roster that puts up great nights and you know, they, they don't make adjustments and they, they can't seem to get the best out of their squad. I was texting with some buddies during the game last night, and what I said to them is like, it it really takes a very great coach or a very bad coach to to really no, to have it be this noticeable in the NBA. You know, with, with the amount of like just shot making and and one on one that goes on throughout an NBA game, like you have to be coaching really badly or really well for people to for the average viewer to say, wow, this guy's doing great or this guy's killing them. And it feels like that's what the point that we've reached with Mike Budenholzer, where you don't even have to be somebody who's, you know, zoned in on all 48 minutes, take, you know, taking note of every substitution and every defensive scheme. It's just obvious, you know, like you said, Jeff T going under screens, Jeff T being in the game in the first place. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just, I, I also think like the Bucks go into every series as if they didn't even know who the opponent is. It's like, they didn't, they didn't even look at the scouting report. They didn't do any, like they just play the same game, no matter what, you know, the, the point guard could be Rajon Rondo, or it could be Trey Young. We're going to play him the exact same way, no matter what. And, and like you said, it's one thing to start a series like that, and maybe you get burned early and you adjust, you know, like Ty Lue, a great example. They just play it out. And they got really lucky, I think, in round two because, you know, the attrition on the Nets side basically gifted them that series where the Nets had nobody left essentially outside of Kevin Durant and an extremely hobbled James Harden. Obviously, if Kyrie stays healthy and, and if Harden is fully healthy, I think the Nets win that series in four or five games. And, you know, we're, we're getting the same story against an inferior opponent in the Atlanta Hawks. Like, did they not watch what Trey Young did throughout round one and round two? I mean, I, I hate to invoke your New York Knicks, but that was the main story of the playoffs. Like through the first oh. week, he he repeated it in round two. 
And now he has his best game of the entire postseason in game one of his series. Like the, the Bucks had time to prepare. It, it just doesn't make any sense. The best game, the best game of his life. He had a career yeah. high points. And I, you know, I think that what the, the weird part about it is, I mean, talk about that net series. Um, I mean, I think un- until, you know, they, until Kyrie went down, like even with the fully healthy nets, the Bucks still had good defensive numbers. They still managed to slow the nets to a pace where I don't think that teams thought they could be slowed. Like they put themselves in a position to win. And the problem to me lied all on the offensive end where it, we saw the same thing happen against the Hawks. And I think that, I think that that was sort of where I was with the Knicks as well and the Sixers. And I can't figure out if the Hawks actually improved on defense or if they've just run into three teams in a row that are, have no identity or that just were completely lost. And honestly, I'm, I kind of side with the latter. I don't yeah. think that this defense has really done anything differently. But when you look at the Knicks, you had a guy in Julius Randle who was basically the whole offense. And <clears throat> what happened was he couldn't go up against Clint Capella. And then Derrick Rose got tired. And Derrick Rose was the guy who kind of led them out of it in game two, him and Reggie Bullock. And after that, like, you know, once you take away Randall, this team's like kind of struggling to figure out what to do. Like they kept going to Randall, even though he clearly had the yips, you know, he didn't want to shoot the ball like because they had no other choice. And then, you know, you look at a team like the Sixers, who we've talked about now for a week, how bad Ben Simmons is, right, and how he doesn't want to shoot and, you know, how he was unsure of himself. And then Joel Embiid has a partially torn meniscus. And then Danny Green goes down, which was like a really big injury that no one's talking about. And now you have the Bucks, And we saw last series with the Bucks how their problems, they just have no idea what they're doing on offense. You have Chris Middleton, you know, dribble down and just hit a turnaround jumper or, or try one anyway. And, you know, and then you'll have just like a pick and roll with Giannis a few times. And then like Giannis will try to do the Giannis play when he hits a spin move and tries to hit an and one layup. And like the thing is, there's just there's no imagination. There's no. Uh, there's no game plan really for Mike Budenholzer, and it, it's a big problem. And I think that it it really puts the Hawks in a really good position because they don't have to do a whole lot on the defensive end. And we know that they do have a great offense. You know, we know that they they didn't shoot the three well that you know that that well this year. But we know they can shoot. Mm-hmm. They can get really hot from three. And when they've gotten really hot this this postseason, they've been unstoppable. Um, so I think that that sort of where I am with the Hawks is like, I still don't believe in this defense. And I don't think that the Bucks are anywhere close to figuring out their offense. And one thing that we could talk about too, which, which I don't think anyone's been talking about. And I didn't, I admittedly did not think it was a big injury, but like, I kind of feel like Dante DiVincenzo helps their offense a little bit. Like, I think they are missing like that explosion. They're missing that other guy to cut to the rim. Like they have Pat Connaughton out there sort of in his place and it, you know, and PJ Tucker, frankly, and it just hasn't really gone that well. They're just not the same type of athlete. And DiVincenzo does also make a lot happen for them on the defensive end. This is a team that loves to get out in transition. They love to run fast breaks. And DiVincenzo is a guy that got a lot of steals. He poked a lot of balls loose. And then they would just get out on the break and score. And, like, they can't do that right now. And when they're forced into half-court sets, they're just a disaster. And, like, you know, that's that's really making the Hawks, Hawks very good. No, the DiVincenzo point makes a lot of sense. And I, I almost don't feel like they miss DiVincenzo, the player, as much as they miss just having an average to slightly above average starter in the rotation. Because, you know, as much as I do want to criticize Mike Budenholzer, and I think he's probably the guy who's most to blame here, you know, I start to think about, like, what is the adjustment? You know, who do you, who do you play less? And, you know, if you're not playing Jeff Teague and you want to sub someone else in there, it's like, 
is it Jordan Nuora? Is it Thanasis Antetokounmpo? Is it more Bryn Forbes? Like it does feel like they're now one guy short in terms of just players you can trust because if you need to steal five or six minutes uh, for a rotation player here and there, and that's why Jeff Teague ends up in the game, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Jeff Teague would never even see the floor. It wouldn't even be a consideration if DiVincenzo is healthy. That's like 20 to 30 more minutes that you have. Or like Bryn Forbes too, last series, the Heat series, right? Right, right. And I mean, I, I think you're overextending Connaughton. Um, I mean, he, he played really well at the end of that Brooklyn series. I thought he gave them a couple of good games, but he was awful last night. He was the main culprit on a couple of really bad missed box outs late in that game. Obviously, he airballed that wide open three pointer that I think would have either tied the game or put the Bucks up one uh, with under a minute left. You know, he's a guy that I think you love running out there for 12 to 16 minutes in a playoff game. Not a guy that you want to have to play 20 plus minutes, but that's now the position that they're in without DiVincenzo. And you mentioned the Hawks shooting, like neither team shot the ball all that well. Yeah. I think if you're the Bucks, it'd be one thing if, if you go into game one, you lose at home and you're like, man, there's nothing we could do. The Hawks hit 22 threes. They were on fire. Um, you know, they were just hitting crazy shots. Like that was not the case whatsoever. I mean, the Bucks shot worse than the Hawks did percentage wise, but both teams hit eight three pointers in this game. Like Trey Young was not on. He wasn't really on as much fire as it seemed yeah. he was like a couple of his looks were, were really deep and really difficult. But I mean, he's four of 13. From beyond the arc, I thought they forced Atlanta into a lot of really tough shots. Um, so you don't even have that to fall back on. You know, if anything, I think you'd expect Atlanta to shoot better in game two. Yeah, and and the other thing about the Bucks too, like speaking of shooting, I mean, almost every three came off the hands of Drew Holiday. And right. Drew Holiday, for a second straight game, was in his bag. He was really bad for, you know, three quarters of that game seven. And he reached deep and went into his bag at the end of that game, and he took the Bucks really into the Eastern Conference Finals, in my opinion. I thought that he was the biggest reason why they won that game. He just, obviously, he had, like, one of three buckets in overtime. Like, there was that, you know, obviously, there was, like, six points, and he had two of right. them. So, technically, yes, he did have a big impact. But he had some big shots, and he played really well in game one, and so did Giannis. And once again, like, Middleton was nowhere to be found, and I think that's where we where we circle back to the Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo situation is, like, if Middleton is off and like he was he was 0 of 9 from three and clearly has just been on and off all postseason, like when he's off, the Bucks have absolutely nowhere to go. Like they tried Bryn Forbes in right. the Heat series, caught some Terrence Man lightning in a bottle. Like they're trying Pat Connaughton, they're trying Jeff Teague. Like they're putting Thanasis and Tentacumpo out there to rile up the crowd and play cheerleader. They just have no ideas left. Like. I don't I don't understand where else they go. Like, do they put in Sam Merrill Lex? Like, I, who knows, man? But that's the problem is this they're 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 lost without another right. option. So Middleton, Lopez, Forbes, and Connaughton go two of twenty from three. You're not gonna win many games when that's the case. And you know, PJ Tucker gave them great minutes. I think the reason that PJ Tucker is on the roster is that entire Brooklyn series. You know, even though Durant's point totals were, you know, otherworldly. Tucker made him work for it. I think he did about as good a job as anybody could have. Um, that's why he's on the roster. But in, in this series against Atlanta, I mean, he played 35 minutes last night. It was two of three from the field. Those were both layups. I think one of them was a putback. Didn't even attempt a three. Um, like, he's such a negative offensively that, you know, if you're having an off night where, where basically everybody but Drew Holiday is not shooting the ball well, and then you also have a guy who's not even a threat to shoot playing more than three quarters of the game – you know, it's kind of it starts to become a little bit easier to see why this offense tends to get bogged down at times. Yeah, and and it com- becomes easier to see why the Hawks are here. 
because yeah. you're describing the same exact thing that happened in the Philadelphia 76ers series, right? They just kind of ran out of options. Right. They had a guy that wouldn't shoot in the fourth quarter, and they had, you know, they were basically leaning on Seth Curry and Joel Embiid, and there was only so much Embiid could give with a with one and a half knees. So it, it I mean, it's definitely like it's definitely panic time for the Bucks. I really do think so. I don't think I think they're in over their heads right now, and I think that something needs to change on offense. I'm I, look. The Hawks have been great in Atlanta. I know that the last series was kind of whatever, but all season long, they've covered at home. They've been great at home. Uh, we saw what happened in that Knicks series. Like just two two completely different teams. And to to our point, you know, to our discussion about shooting, a lot more shots are falling there for them, which again is like not a surprise because that happens with a lot of teams. But you know, God forbid the Hawks, you know, Bogdanovich and Herder were hot last night. I mean, that that would have not even been close. Like that would have been right. a blowout win. You know, you wouldn't have even seen the Bucks in position to to lead early and uh, and late in that game. So, I do think that a major adjustments need to be made. Um, but I think you know, above all else, like Chris Middleton just needs to play better because there's no other option here. Like they they just need him. I, I don't expect you to even have a response to this. I just want to make sure I read this stat so it's on the record. The Bucks are 31% as a team on wide open threes, 56 of 180 in this postseason. And granted, a lot of those are Giannis related because everyone that he takes right. is wide open. And obviously his percentage has been terrible, but 31% on uncontested threes, the Suns for reference are at 44% for the playoffs. Well, and, and like what the only, what do you remember about last year's postseason with the books? Like I kind of blocked blacked out like for the whole year. Like I kind of remember what happened last year, Sure. but one thing I remember vividly was like Brooke Lopez raining threes from the heavens and the then and the Bucks just hitting everything, and, and especially at home, right? Right. Like that's all I remember. That was apt. That is not. That is so far away. That is a distant memory. Like Brook Lopez, you know, is is not raining threes, and the Bucks in general are just they're not there right now. Um, and it, it's like the it, you you want you don't want to say like well the biggest change just needs to be they just need to hit their shots, but like that is it because that's how this team has thrived. Mm-hmm. I also think that like they could push the pace here. Um, I don't think the Hawks are doing a whole lot to really slow the game. I think it's more more of the like the Bucks not forcing turnovers. But this team absolutely thrived in transition all year, and it's no surprise because they had like a guy that is freakishly long, right, and then can euro step from half court. So in that in that sense, like that is another thing that I would like to see them do is just try to run out more. And again, it, it's tough without you know, steals and turnovers to create it, but like, just try to try to inject some sort of pace here because the longer they wait with the ball, the closer they get to a Giannis open three or, uh, or, or an offensive foul or some, or some terrible shot, you know? So I, I do, I do feel like that's sort of where they should be living. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Don- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, let's get to the Western Conference. Suns Clippers, based on our discussions on the sweat uh, over the last week or so, I feel like we've been on opposite sides of this. Like, I'm like fully all in on the Suns. I expect them to win every single game for the rest of eternity. You seem to have more belief in the Kawhi-less Clippers. They played really well. Obviously, they closed out Utah without Kawhi. Two of the more impressive games that we've seen from any team, honestly, considering the situation this season. And they did play really well in games one and two against Phoenix, you know, came up short in game one. And then, you know, the, the Valley Oop in game two to end that one. Are you still on the Clippers? Do you still feel like they can make this a series? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, you read, you read me very well. Um, I'm not really hard to read. I've been screaming from the heavens that the Clippers are going to win the NBA finals. And I was saying that, you know, last series as well, even when Kawhi went down, you know, no one wanted to give them a chance in Utah. No one wanted to give them a chance at home against Utah. The thing about the Clippers that's so, um, I, I don't want to say like amazing, because like, yeah, I mean, they've they've obviously had their shortcomings. They haven't like played incredibly, right? And especially without their best player. But the thing about the, the, the Los Angeles Clippers that kind of fascinates me is they've just been like the same team all postseason. Like no matter what, they've come out and they've done the exact same thing. They've had like, you know, relatively speaking, like they've had a few bad games like they had um you know like game five against dallas and game six against dallas frankly they were just so flat on offense and the same you you could really say you know game two of this series paul george had a terrible game i think they shot like only 38 percent from three the thing about this team though is for the most part this postseason you've been able to count on them for offense and their defense has risen to the occasion when it had when it's had to we saw in the middle of that utah series and also in the middle of that dallas series their defensive ratings just went completely down and they started really figuring out their opponents and i do t- i do chalk that up to good coaching i do talk that up chalk that up to ty Lue experiment uh rather adjusting in the series and in the early games right ty Lue has has really not put his best game plan out there and we've seen that and it's not an indictment on him really what he's done is he sort of adapts this LeBron mentality of let's let me feel out the opponent in the first game. Let me feel them out in the second game. And like that's why we saw Boogie Cousins and Rajon Rondo playing 
in the first two games of the Utah series, and then we saw them disappear. We didn't see man the first two games, then we saw him the rest of the series. Like, I, I don't put a lot of stock in the first two games in the sense, like, that if the Clippers don't win them, I'm not really concerned. Um, and it, that's especially true considering how close they came to winning. And I don't think that the Clippers have come close to putting out their best their best starting five, their best rotation yet in this series. And the fact that they've almost won twice is pretty crazy. Um, and now I know that Chris Paul is going to come back, but I think the Clippers are going to come back with a vengeance here in this series. Like, they're going to play a lot better. And to my earlier point, like, they've just consistently scored the basketball all postseason. And the people out there that say, well, the Clippers aren't going to win, the Clippers – too much is going right for the Clippers. I heard uh, Julian, our, uh, who we do the sweat with, he said that on our segment yesterday. He was like, well, too much is going right. Well, maybe you said that, actually. I don't even remember. Maybe I think, I think you were the person that said too much is that, going that right. That was definitely me. That was you. But the thing about it, Nick, is like they shot 41% from three all year. They led the league in three-point shooting. And sure, in the Dallas series, I said that about Dallas. I was like, too much is going right for Dallas. They were 18th in three-point shooting. They were hitting like 50% of their shots. I was like, there's no way this is going to keep happening. But with the Clippers, they just they always shoot well from three. They have great three-point shooters. Like that's the one thing they've done consistently well. And if you can just knock down a million threes, we saw with the Mavericks earlier this postseason against this same team. Like you can you can beat anybody. The Mavericks had no business beating the Clippers at all in in, in any capacity of that series, but they just went ballistic from three. And it was impossible for the for the Clippers to come back. Same thing with the Clippers against the Jazz. The Jazz were like you know, hot stuff. They were like, well, we're the best three-point shooting team. And then the Clippers just outshot them from three. Like, I expect them to just keep raining threes, and Phoenix is just not going to be able to keep up with that level of offense, I don't think. Not with the way they've played defense this postseason. Like, I haven't seen that same sort of level of intensity as we saw all season long. And I also would like to say, too, for the record, I love the I love the Suns. One of my great friends lives in PHX, and I hope that one— one of these teams wins the finals. Like the winner of this series, I want to win the finals for sure. I do not want it to be the Bucks. I hate Mike Budenholzer. I think I actually do want it to be the Bucks. I want them to win the championship and then fire Bud like right away. Like I, I, I want to see like as soon as the buzzer sounds, fire him. Yeah, I want to see him be the first guy to win a championship and then get fired. Like that would be hilarious. Yeah. So maybe maybe just everyone but the Hawks. But no, I I I really would love to see the Suns win. But I, I I'm I'm such a big bandwagoner right now for the Clippers. Like I just think they're such a fun story. They really are. It's surprising because I think throughout the regular season and especially taking into account what happened last season, I think if there was one team that you're like, all right, you're going to take away their best player, Kawhi Leonard. Is this team going to rally back or are they going to fold? Like I would have been like 100 percent Clippers fold like everything we know about them. They folded with Kawhi Leonard last year. Like it's, it's so unlikely, I guess, the way that this has happened. You know, I think everybody was out on PG. He's played great since Kawhi went down. Everybody was out on Reggie Jackson. He's been awesome since Kawhi went down. Like, I mean, even Ty Lue, I think a lot of people were still pretty skeptical of Ty Lue. Um, you know, obviously he's a championship coach, but I, I think most people credit that to LeBron more than anything else. I, I think Ty Lue comes out of this playoffs as one of the big winners, you know, when you're talking coaches, players, executives, whoever. Like he, I mean, I, I think the Clippers probably end up losing the series regardless of what happens tonight in game three. But I mean, I, I think he's already, just what's happened over these last four games, I think he's already built a ton of clout. Yeah, this this is uh he's having his Eric Spolster moment like and right. I, I I've said that on the sweat so many times about Paul George having his Jimmy Butler moment like just completely putting his team on his back like going in and just giving everything that he has 
And yeah, I think that um, when I was a kid and I was a little more uneducated and I watched these these Heat teams and I heard like everyone be like, oh, Eric Spolster is such a great coach. Uh, I joined the hive mind and I was like, yeah, no, he has LeBron, Wade and Bosch like and Mario Chalmers. Like, obviously, right. he has a great team. That's why he looks like a good coach. And that was the same sort of narrative around Ty Lue. It was like, come on now. Like, you're talking about this, like, short guy that got stepped over by Allen Iverson being a really good coach. Like, what has he done except for, like, be LeBron's friend and have LeBron just, like, you know, carry him into that role? He's been a phenomenal coach all postseason long. And, again, it's such a juxtaposition to Buddenholzer where you, like, look at, you know, his rotations. They ch- they've changed – he does so many interesting things. Like last game, he threw out a four-guard lineup, which just like completely threw me off. He had Beverly, Rondo, Mann, uh, or no, I think it was Beverly, Rondo, and Reggie Jackson in the game with with Mann. And like, it was just in like Batum or something. It was like insane. Like he just does these weird weird rotations. Yeah. He puts Canard playing crunch time. Yeah, dude, and and I actually called that on this. I was like, I just I have a feeling that he's gonna switch his rotation and put Luke Kennard in. But that's the thing about him. He he does this in the first two games. He's like, okay, like let me see if like Boogie has an impact. Like let me see. Okay, now let me see Zubats. Like can Zubats like get me big minutes to combat Aiton? Like he now I I it's like a golfer and you love golf. It's like a golfer going through the practice rounds and just filling up his notebook with how the green breaks and like what kind of shots to play on certain and on certain uh, holes and like what side of the fairway to put it on, you know, what happens if I'm on if I'm in this bunker, like what do I want to do? Like, you know, hole locations. That's sort of what Tyloo does in these first two games, and I just feel like right now he's got a great book on the Suns and he knows now like sort of it, with specific issues that he's going to run into what what he has to do like what players he wants to put out there i think he's going to send Kennard out there if they need some if they need some shooting late like um but i think that again like they just have such a deep team to me that there are so many buttons for him to push and he sort of has this like he's at an advantage here but he also is smart about what buttons he pushes but he can just kind of weave his web in this series and just you know he 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 can play this beautiful music you know what i mean like i just feel like he uh he definitely came out a winner of this postseason. I don't know if the Clippers will win this series as, as confident as I am, but I do think that going forward, you know, next year, we're definitely gonna look at this Clippers team a lot differently. And I think that free agents will as well. And I, I do feel like this the future is so bright for them, and it almost feels like a certainty that Ty Lu wins another title, which is not something that I think I expected myself to say, but I, I quickly am becoming a believer. So I agree with 95% of what you said. The only thing is, what is your read on this Kawhi injury situation? Because I still think there's a chance that he has a torn ACL. And if that's the case, I mean, as well as they've played, like, you, you know, they're not going to be a true title contender with Kawhi Leonard sitting out for, you know, presumably all of next season. If that's the case, and again, I hope it's not the case. That's the doom and gloom scenario. But, you know, the fact that Shams tweeted out last week, the Clippers fear it's an ACL injury, like almost always, I feel like that results in an actual ACL injury. Um, they've been really cagey about it. We have really no idea what's going on. I think they were waiting for the swelling to go down to, yeah. to further evaluate. But I mean, that throws a wrench in everything if Kawhi Leonard is dealing with something that's going to knock him out for most of next season. Yeah, and I'm I'm like I'm so out on the uh, well, I'm not a doctor, so I'm gonna give not gonna give my yeah, medical yeah. opinion. I'm so out on that now. Like I used to be like, yeah, come on. Like now I'm like, no one speculates anymore. No one wants to play doctor at home. Like I want to do that. Like I've watched a million minutes of sports. I can tell you. You know, like if a, like the way a player walks off the floor, whether or not his ACL is torn, like or whether or not it's a bad, like I don't know, I like I I don't I I think that he's probably out for the postseason. I think that's a probably a fair assessment. But the the vagueness, 
right? Like how many times have, first of all, I have seen, um, you know, an NFL writer or an NBA writer say, yeah, I think, you know, they fear it's a torn ACL and then it's not. Um, that happens plenty actually. But I, look, the, the weirdest thing about this is that he said ACL injury. So n- like th- that was so vague and I almost feel like it was purposely vague to the sense that like, I mean, maybe they want us to think he has a chance to come back, but I, I mean, I, you know, maybe that's why I'm saying this, but I, maybe it's just a sprain. Like it could be an ACL sprain, it could, that, which could keep him out a week or two. Um, I don't know, like, we just don't know what the injury is. And I think that's on purpose, but I do, I do kind of feel like I'm not ready to like write them off for next season without knowing what this is. Like, and even if it's a torn ACL, um, I, I still don't care. I really don't care. Cause it, it's not a, it's not an injury that is like, you know, with Porzingis, with like, you know, with, with Kevin Durant, like these teams were so, so cautious. Um, mm-hmm. I know that it is, you know, a great basketball player, like maybe one of the best in the league right now. But th- this is not an injury that like the the the, the parameters are so different. Like uh, the, the the Mavericks were not in a position to contend right away. I don't think they needed Porzingis for a while. The Nets, of course, were waiting until they got their whole team assembled. They didn't need to rush Durant back. The Clippers, I do feel like, will want Kawhi back. And it wouldn't be rushing him back to get him back late in the season next year. Right. This is not an injury that needs to keep him out for a year. And again, that is like my professional medical opinion. So I, I think that because of like two big names coming off ACL injuries and like because of those guys missing a ton of time, we're sort of like, oh, well, this is definitely a year and a half thing. It doesn't need to be if the team really thinks they can win next year, they can just take the normal the normal recovery timetable. They don't need to do right. like an extra careful one like the Nets and the Mavericks did with their guys. All right, last thing on this series. I, I do think I'm with you. I Obviously, I'm rooting for the Bucks, but I think the Suns winning a title – would actually be a really fun end result to what's just been like a weird season and an even weirder postseason. Like, I think that would be, it would be relatively satisfying even for the people who are upset that, you know, player X went down and their team got knocked out. Like the Suns are a pretty easy team to root for right now. Um, Are are you a big CP3 guy? Like, have you rooted for him over the years? Like how, how much are you buying into this narrative that, you know, all of a sudden he now has a really, really good chance to, to not only get to a finals, but perhaps actually win the title. Yeah, I mean, I, look, my, my Clippers bandwagon fandom runs deep. I mean, it runs back to the days of Lob City. I, I love Chris Paul. I have a lot of love for Chris Paul. I don't know why, uh, because New York is so opposite of L.A., but I just, like, have, like, I, I've jumped on the Dodgers bandwagon, like, many years ago when they had Juan Uribe and Yasiel Puig and Andre Ethier and, like, all these great overpaid guys, Adrian Gonzalez, and same thing with the Clippers. Like, I've just always loved the Clippers for some reason. So I have always rooted for Chris Paul. I think he's a great guy. I think he's super talented. Of course, best friends with, you know, a best friend of the Knicks, the Knicks, uh, you know, uh, family, Melo. But he, he just is, like, super talented. He's so good that that elbow jumper is automatic. And what I loved, like, this season was just watching him close out games for the Suns. You know, the young guys do so much legwork. Mikhail Bridges, I, I've tweeted so many great things about Mikhail Bridges all, all postseason, like, that that he is so great. He is such a great player. What a great find. What a terrible trade by the Sixers. And I sort of feel like a lot of people did know it coming out of Nova that he was going to mm-hmm. be a good pro. But he falls into that category, which is so dumb. Like, if, if we can, I don't know if this is a good transition to the draft, but like, it is so dumb when when fans and the media and there's this narrative about a guy is too old. I don't think anybody is too old. Like that was why I was like, this, if you want to say that Obi Toppin is never going to learn how to play defense, and that's why you don't want him, then sure, say that. 
but I don't don't give me this crap that he's you know 24 and that's too old. Steph Curry didn't become Steph Curry until he was 28 freaking years old. That is a long time that Steph Curry was just like a developing pro. Like people don't realize that he's 33 years old now. He really did not peak until he was 28. And like I mean I know that he was like really good, but like he was really really good. 27, 28 years old. You have time. Like if if Obi Toppin right peaked at like 29 and gave the Knicks four amazing years, I'd be so happy with that. You know, same thing with Bridges. Like why why were people worried about this guy? People thought he couldn't get any better. Like he was a really good shot maker. Like we've seen in this postseason. What if the Bucks just had a guy that hit shots? Then they could be really good. It's like who? Why were you shying away from a shot maker to right. begin with? Like oh, because he was like a little lanky. Like you weren't sure if he could develop into you know freaking Kevin Durant. Like okay, um, I think people are so obsessed with ceilings now, and no one's okay with just taking the really good player like a Halliburton last year. So I do feel like yeah, um, you know these guys did all the work. And then Chris Paul just kind of comes in. He's like Mariana Rivera at the end of a game. And he just comes in and he just hits every shot every time down the floor. He makes the heady plays. You know, he gets the three three free throws on the pump fake three. He, he makes a stop. He makes a great play on defense. And, like, that is what's so fun about this team is the way that he orchestrates this team all game long, kind of saves himself for the end, and then just turns it on and, and just puts away opponents. And it has made the fun Suns a really fun really fun watch and i hope they win the fight i really hope that chris paul finally gets one i just think he's too good not to get one sort of like you know a, a, a Kawhi situation where you know Kawhi was just doing it on his own like team to team i feel like paul was kind of you know tried to find his his perfect scenario and they could have done it in houston i'm still mad about him getting injured but th- th- right. this seems like the time for sure, and and it's it's such a great story, and I know that people have sort of not liked him because he sort of seems arrogant and he flops. But like, come on, everyone does that. Every great champion is arrogant, and every single player in the NBA flops. And you know, if you're if you're somebody who, you know, likes Chris Paul but hates Pat Beverly, you're doing it wrong. If you're a guy that likes Pat Beverly and hates Chris Paul, you're doing it wrong. Everybody in the league, you know, sells calls. And there's just it's just good veteran play from Chris Paul. It's just such a fun twist, you know, because we've seen this narrative play out so many times. We're like when Chris Paul, when things fell apart in Houston the second year and he ends up in OKC last year, you're like, this is it. Like, he's it's just never going to happen. You know, maybe maybe his best chance is he ends up on some really great team as a 38 year old, you know, playing the Jason Kidd on the Mavs role. And he gets his title. But you're like, well, that wasn't really Chris Paul's title this has a chance to be Chris Paul's title. And, and I think yeah. Chris Paul, the type of person that he is, would be the first one to admit that there is a difference between being the guy who has the ball in his hands for 35 minutes and being the role player who comes in and gives you 20 good minutes when you, when you kind of need him, like Jason Kidd. You know, I, I don't think Jason Kidd is sitting at home like, man, that was my title. It wasn't Dirk's, it was mine. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what makes this such a fun story. Is like, this isn't, this doesn't feel like some retirement tour where he's just going to kind of, get some ring that doesn't really count for anything like this would be a very legitimate title ring. And, you know, you, you think of guys like Carl Malone, um, you know, Charles Barkley, it, it really felt like he was heading that direction. Even like two and a half weeks ago when they were down two one to the Lakers, it felt like he was heading that direction. And, and like I said, I, I just think this is a really satisfying ending if this is the way that it turns out, because overall it feels like there's just been kind of this Paul over the postseason because of all the injuries. And, you know, if it results in like the Atlanta Hawks, 
beating the Clippers in the finals. I, I, I just don't think a lot of people are going to are going to accept that. I think that would be met with a lot of pushback. And, you know, I think that people would really want to slap an asterisk on that. But if it ends with Chris Paul and the Suns taking down the Bucks in six games, I, I don't I don't think anybody could look at this and say it was an illegitimate playoffs. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was David Lee's title in 2015, right? Um, no, but that was sort of what I was oh, alluding was. to with Kawhi, <laughs> you know, was that he went to Toronto. That was all his. And it's the same thing with Chris Paul. Like, this is the Chris Paul t- title. And, you know, I think that, sure, a lot of things had to break right for him. You know, a lot of things had to break right for the Raptors as well, right, with the, with the Warriors being so banged up. And it happens. I mean, I don't think we put asterisks on – you know, did we put an asterisk on the second or third, the second Durant title because like LeBron punched a wall after game one and like couldn't play anymore uh, or couldn't play at the same level or that, you know, J.R. Smith threw the ball. Like, do, do we put it? You could put an asterisk every year on everything. You could be like, oh, well, this team clearly gave them two games. Like this was a dumb decision or this guy got hurt. Like yeah. uh, the, the first Warriors title when Kyrie got hurt in game one. Um, you know, so every year has some weird thing that happens. I mean, it just so happened that like this year, you know, the nets fell apart, but I mean, you know, the Lakers were healthy, right? They just kind of weren't themselves and it's not like the West was any weaker, but yeah, I mean, I think it is definitely a a great accomplishment that he's still this old and he's still able to do Mm -hmm. it all himself. He's not, he didn't have to be, you know, uh, relegated to a mellow role where Melo's just coming off the bench hitting threes, you know, this is this is him leading this team. This is him putting his identity on a team. This team right. plays Chris Paul basketball. They play slow half-court basketball. They play great defense, they find good shots, they make good decisions, and you know, they they have those those heady plays. They'll get foul shooting threes. Like they just know they know what to do late in games and you know, his, his impact is definitely, definitely visible. And we see it with the, with the FaceTime narrative with him FaceTiming the team, you know, every game, whatever, telling him what to do. I also, by the way, love like how everyone's like, oh, the Chris Paul FaceTimes him every game. And Kawhi Leonard is doing the same thing, <laughs> but no one's talking about it because everyone wants to just keep going and rooting for the Suns. And it's fine. I want the Suns to win too, but it's like, come on now. The, the, I think the, Kawhi's the dialing stories, in on the landline. The same story. He, yeah, he's he's sending mail. Uh, the same stories have been written about Kawhi Leonard being vocal and talking to the team every game. Like it's not like a not it's not like a new thing that players are you know. But anyway, uh, I digress. I do love Chris Paul, and um, it, it would be a really big accomplishment. I think this year would be the most special of them all. Maybe even more special than beating the Warriors just because, you know, he always sort of had help, right? He had James Harden. Right. And I don't want to disrespect Devin Booker, but it, this really would be like he, he is the best player on this team. And I want to tie this into finals MVP odds, and then we'll finally move on from the Suns. But at the DK Sportsbook, Giannis is the favorite right now at plus 175. You got Booker at plus 225, CP at 4-1, to one, Trey Young 7-1, to one, Paul George 14-1, to one, Aiton at 25-1. to one. I think Chris Paul plus 400 is a really good bet because even if Devin Booker has like, let's say they make the finals and Devin Booker has like two 35 plus point games, he plays really well. I don't think Chris Paul has to outperform him statistically because of the narrative, everything that we just talked about regarding Chris Paul. Like I I think like, I mean, there's a reason that he finished dramatically higher in MVP voting. He's the one that got MVP votes over Devin Booker, even though Devin Booker is maybe the better player at this point. Like, I think if the Suns win the finals, like this goes to Chris Paul as a lifetime achievement finals MVP. 
Yeah, I, I think that you're right. Um, if everything breaks how it should, then Chris Paul should be the MVP. And I think that that is a bet worth taking. I mean, that's definitely the best bet. That's a great number. That's something I might even take when we go off the air. But if I'm looking at, like, if I want to make some serious money, maybe I just want to throw my lunch money down and, and turn it into, like, you know, uh, a, a, you know whatever, uh, a subscription to tennis TV. Um, there you go, rotowire.com. I'm gonna look. I mean, there's a lot of intriguing ones. I know, and I, 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 am probably not gonna take a Clippers bet. I mean, Paul George plus 1600 is essentially a bet that the Clippers gonna win this series, um, which you're, you're better off just betting them to win the series, and it, it, it is kind of unlikely. But you know, DeAndre Ayton you mentioned is pretty good. Like if, if we do get this Suns in the finals, I kind of like him because I mean, he's just his impact has been so massive. But look, man. I mean, I'm really into John Collins plus 15,000. I mean, this guy has been unbelievable this postseason plus 15,000. And we just talked about how we're worried about the Bucks. So immediately there's value on all the Hawks, right? And I know that it's just still ridiculous that Giannis is plus 175. Like he, like they would even win the freaking finals. Um, and John Collins, like, I, look, we talked about how Trey Young hasn't played that well. He has not shot that well. I I think he's dealing with a little bit of an injury. I know that he's hit timely shots and like he's he's obviously the biggest name on the Hawks, but I'm so into John Collins at these insane odds just because like if you have to pick one other guy, it's John Collins. And look, Chris Devin Booker 225, Chris Paul 400, DeAndre Ayton plus 2500, right? Those are th- the top 3 names from one final team. You got to go all the way down to Collins and Bogdanovich if you want to find the number two option from if you think the Hawks are going to make it there, which I think there's a good chance that they could. Um, so that's probably my favorite bet uh, for sure. I mean, they unfortunately don't have any odds on Kawhi Leonard, but I would definitely touch that as well just for fun if he came back. Uh, yeah, but uh, that that's probably where I'm going if if I'm not going for Chris Paul plus 400. It would be John Collins plus 1,500. Um you know, I mean, Reggie Jackson plus fifty thousand. Put put five dollars on that. Why not? All right, I'll I'll have to bleep that out. <laughs> Chris Paul was plus fifteen thousand at the end of May, by the way, between games three and four against the Lakers when they were down two one. I, I wrote I wrote a little thing on the site breaking down the odds at that time. Plus fifteen thousand. That's insane. That really insane. is. Let's talk NBA draft lottery real quick. Um, are, are you a big draft guy overall? Do you watch a lot of college basketball? Like what is your college basketball versus NBA balance when we're in the thick of the season? I mean, I watch much more NBA just because on a nightly basis, I'm writing previews for the next day's games. So, but I mean, I, I was talking to you off offline, how, how much I watched, uh, you know, some of the bigger names here that are involved. So I definitely, I watched, you know, I, I watch enough to like, know. Need you know? I know what I need to know going forward into the NBA. Like I watched a ton of Cade Cunningham. I watched a ton of. Uh, I mean, well, I t- watched a ton of Michigan basketball. I watched a ton of Davion Mitchell. I mean, that kid's gonna be really good, I think. And it's not just because he wears number 45 and his last name's Mitchell. I mean, he he has a lot of those similar qualities of sh- knocking down shots. Um, but there's plenty of great talented shot makers and and you know playmakers in this in this draft. Um, and as a Nick fan, you know, I know that they have the 19th pick. Like I've kind of been hoping that James Booknight, I'm sort of a I'm sort of a Yukon fan. I was kind of hoping that he would fall there. We'll see what happens. I love James Booknight. I, I think he's such a classic college basketball player. Like I was a 
huge, huge college basketball guy in like the 2005 to 2010 range. And, you know, like when the Big East was the Big East and, you know, LeVance Fields was doing things for Pittsburgh, like that era, like he reminds me of kind of a throwback type of guy. Like I was, for some reason, I was a big Pittsburgh fan at that time. Dude, uh, the the Carl Krauser years, the Julius Page years. Dude, I had Pitt in my bracket to beat Nova, the Scotty Reynolds year. And I was with my buddy and he's a huge Nova fan. And I'll never forget, I'm sure you remember this, the the half court heave from Fields that went in and out. He just like it looked like Pitt thought they lost the game and he just like heaves it up, just didn't even care, and it like almost went in. Do you remember that? Oh, I I most certainly do. I, Dude, like I, I, said, I, I can't it was like one of the craziest almost buzzer beaters I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like those Pitt teams were they would get a two or a three seed every single year and then they would fizzle out in round two or three. But yep. super fun regular season team. Like if anyone ever tells you that Aaron Gray is a stiff. He was a, an absolute machine in college. And I hated when all the all the the panelists on ESPN would be like, "What? Uh, you know how they always play that game? Well, what? Who's the one seed that you have the least confidence in?" It was yeah. always freaking Pitt. And I was like, oh, "You know what, man? Screw you guys. I'm putting Pitt in the final. That's what I'm doing on my bracket. You know, I'm, I'm at heart, my whole life, I've always been like, you know, screw the narrative. I hate this. It can't be right. If everyone's saying it, it can't be true. And then, yeah." yeah. Scotty Reynolds. All right, so the Pistons end up with the top pick. Houston gets the second. Uh, the Cavs jump up to number three. Toronto jumps up to number four. Orlando picks at five. Uh, they also have the Bulls pick at number eight. You know, I, I think the big winner overall is Toronto, just because they're the they're the odd team out, right? Every other team that's in the top five and really even in the top half of the lottery is a team that's in a rebuild, and Toronto is is by far the anomaly of all these teams. And if they hit on this pick at number four, whoever it ends up being, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're looking at, you know, kind of re you know, jumpstarting a team that was winning the finals two years ago and was like a couple bad bounces away from getting back to the East finals last year. So I think that's kind of the main storyline that I'm keeping an eye on in terms of lottery night itself, though, Oklahoma city, I mean, they had a chance, their best, best case scenario was picking number one overall, and then also getting Houston's pick at number five. And Houston's pick only could have fallen to number five. It couldn't have gone any lower. They end up getting the second pick uh, by virtue of the Russell Westbrook deal. Um, That pick does not convey to Oklahoma City. So not only does OKC fall out of the top five, they also don't get that Houston pick. They're picking at six. Not exactly a disaster, just because, you know, it's not like this is a team that expects to be in the playoffs next year. And they obviously have a ton of draft capital going forward. But I was I was kind of low-key rooting for that scenario where they could get two of these top five guys in what a lot of people think is a five-player draft. Yeah, I, I think that I, I do I do agree with you that there is some talent. I mean, I mentioned Mitchell. Like, there's there's some guys outside the top five that I don't think that the Thunder will be that sad to get. But I do follow I, – I am a big guy, a tic, big TikTok guy. And there are some great yeah. TikToks with Thunder fans just like, okay, that's too many picks. Okay, too many picks. Like – they just continued to trade for picks, and they 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 made this massive gamble that they were gonna that they were gonna get some great guys in this draft. And it, you know, it it's it's just the NBA draft is one of those things where sometimes you just get really unlucky, and you either you know the lottery doesn't break your way, or you just you get a bad draft. And like, you know, that's sort of what as a Knicks fan I can remember for years. There have been so many times where they've had they've been in position to take someone really good, and it's just not the year to have the number four pick, you know, um, you know, the, the Porzingis year, great example, like who, who, you know, there weren't that many great options in that draft. So 
Uh, yeah, I, but I do think that they'll be all right. I don't think they're going to be as good. Like, I, you know, they're not going to have Cade, and I think obviously that was the goal, right? But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, imagine the Raptors, you know, end up with Jalen Suggs. Like, I don't know, I don't know if the Cavaliers necessarily want to take another guard. Um, I think that a lot of people would probably say that, you know, Suggs would be one of the top three picks. But like, you know, the Raptors are there. Like, things could happen for them. Like, they could end up. He could fall to them. You know, they could get a really, you know, one of these great guys out of the G League. But, I mean, just just putting a guard on that team, you know, even just a, a potential Kyle Lowry re- replacement, right? Like, not that right. Kyle Lowry's that bad, but, you know, you have you we talked so much about coaching on this podcast. You have a great coach. You have a great system. You know, you have a team that somehow just, like, continues to replenish itself. Like, you know, out of nowhere, now, like, OG Ananobi, and they trade, that was a great trade, I thought, for Gary Trent Jr. Um, Van Vliet's now committed there. Like, if you could just, you could, and I still have, obviously, Pascal Siakam. Chris Boucher was, like, the best player in the league for, like, two weeks. If you could just, like, you know, kind of slowly phase out Lowry and, like, phase in, like, a a future all-star point guard, that would be insane, right? Like, just this team would just never be bad again. And um, I, I really feel like they have a really good, good, uh, a good chance to do that. And you know whether it's you know whether it's Kuminga or Suggs, like I just feel like this is this is a team that I'm really excited about. I'm really not excited about the Knicks having to play them a lot, mm-hmm. but I, I mean I think they're going to be really good. Like this is this is a this is a team that I already thought was like severely underperforming last year. They obviously dealt with injuries all year long. Um, but you know they they have so much talent and such great coaching that they're going to make it happen and yeah I mean as for like the you know the other teams like the Pistons the Pistons are such a crazy team because like I almost feel like Cade Cunningham's going to pull a Zion and he's not even going to be there for like ten years because I, I you know they, they have they have so much work to do they have basically no one on their team like I mean the most exciting person is like Killian Hayes and like I, I mean come on he's not that exciting City um, Bay baby. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah, Nova, but uh, yeah, there's a there's just not that much on that team right now. I mean, obviously, uh, Grant was a great story, like that was a great signing, but he's just, you know, as a Nick fan, I know it when I see it. Like he's just using this time to get a big deal somewhere else. Um, he's not actually going to commit himself to this franchise, I don't think. So I think that's definitely something to watch. Is like, you know, how how long does Cade Cunningham stay? Like, is, does he want to commit himself to this team? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's his loyalty trade on 2K? Is it really high? Or like, does he just want to, does he just want to get out of there? Like once his four years are up and like, you know, try to force a sign and trade or something. I, I don't know. But like, if, I, if he's I, in it for the long haul, you know, maybe he watched a lot of Pistons growing up or something. I mean, he's, I guess he's too young for that, but like, I don't know, like maybe he wants to be there. Yeah. Maybe he, he grew up idolizing Lindsay Hunter for all we know. <laughs> I, uh, I think you're right. I think we're heading toward eventually a reckoning with these top guys who come into the league and are ready right away and yeah. don't want to be burdened by playing under a rookie contract. Like I, I think you know, Bill Simmons brings this up all the time. Like I, whether it's Zion or whether it's you know Luca, who it doesn't look like it's heading this way, but one of these guys is going to decline. You know the the rookie option that everybody just automatically picks up, just kind of right. the, the early I think money it's grab. Be Zion, I do. I think he I think, wants yeah. out. It, well, I mean, the messaging from his camp is certainly heading that way, right? I mean, it's basically give us exactly what we want, or we're holding we're holding this guy ransom. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if if that kind of opens the floodgates and these guys start to realize, like, I, look, I've been a star 
since I was 15 years old. Like I, I don't have to come and spend four or five years mired in Detroit, you know, with this team that's not putting anything around me. Like I have the power, even if it means sacrificing some money in the short term. I think these guys have there, there's so many other revenue streams open to these guys that it's not like you're going from either making ten million dollars or making zero dollars. Like maybe you won't quite make up that money, but they have other ways, I think, where it's not so much of a financial risk. Yeah. And like, I, again, I just think that, you know, to your point, like we're reaching a new a new era in basketball where like the whole I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the players fight to get restricted free agency taken away. Like I, I feel like there's nothing like that in in the league now where a team can just a team can just like hang on to you as long as they want, like no matter how bad how bad you want to leave. Like, you know, un, unless it's like a Carson Palmer in the NFL situation where the team like literally refuses to trade you. And if the NFL is sort of like that, too, where a team can hang on like I, I do feel like that. I could see that being taken away. Like, uh, you know, the, the players continue to fight for more rights and the players have exercised that they have incredible power, um, you know, in the last year. And, you know, wh- why not? Why not fight for an end of restricted free agency? And I also feel like, yeah, I mean, there is an option like you don't have to you can reject the qualifying offer and you can get traded away. You, you know, you can you can work on a sign in trade where you sign that max deal and then get traded away. And I feel like we're going to see that happen a lot more where players aren't just going to go sign an offer sheet somewhere else and then get it matched. They're going to be like, no, I want to get the hell out of here. I want to get the hell out of Cleveland. Uh, trade mm-hmm. me right now. And, you know, they're going to have to because otherwise the player is just going to go trash them on Twitter. Their dad is going to go on, you know, FS1 and just say like, oh, you know, uh, the, the terrible, terrible organization. No one should ever go there. Like they're going to face serious repercussions. So I do feel like the the players in the NBA have so much power as it is. It, it it makes perfect sense that it would continue to to carry over into you know restricted free agency and and how these guys come out of the draft. All right, man. I know you got to get out of here uh, for posterity. Give me a prediction yeah. for what happens in Clippers Suns Game Three tonight. Oh, the Clippers win. Clippers win. Look, I, the shooting's gonna this, they they continue to shoot the ball well. The Suns are coming off a bad shooting night. The Suns have not played great defense, and I just feel like that re-entry period with Chris Paul might be a little rocky at first. I know that he's going to help this defense get back to where it was, but look, I just this team shoots the ball so well. Um, I don't think that anyone can do anything to stop it when they're going this well. So I, I, I just I feel like it doesn't make sense. But what about the Clippers' run has made any sense, Nick? Like, I, I, I think I think they're going to win. I think they're going to pull this back to a two-two series, and then it's going to get good. And maybe maybe Kawhi Leonard only had a sprained ACL. You're so much more optimistic about this Kawhi thing than I am. I, I admire it. I, I tend to think the worst in these situations. I certainly hope he comes back. I'm not counting on it. All right. I mean, I'm not either. Come on now. But no. just maybe, well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe. You're talking about Kawhi Leonard finals MVP odds? Like, man, maybe maybe for 2023. Give me those plus 50,000 odds. Come on. Let me throw three bucks on that. All right. You can find Kenny Ducey's work at DraftKings, NBC Sports, Action Network, Sportsbook Review. Uh, Kenny, really appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome back on the Rotowire NBA podcast anytime. For you, Nick, for you, anything. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.